Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Go on your way, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Luke 10, verses 3 to 4 and 16. Good evening and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm thrilled to be with you today to offer homeschool insights and delights from our household, where God is present in the clouds above. Not in the old-fashioned way of heaven, but in the gloomy way of reminding me who will lift my spirits when the weather wears me down. Come on out to play, son. Each week, I entice an unsuspecting, hugely fascinating person to join me for part of the show. I offer intangibles like social media exposure. I would hand around crisps and cucumber sandwiches with beakers of sparkling lemonade if I was face-to-face. Honest, I would. My fearless guests join me anyway to talk about aspects of family life which usually relate to homeschooling and always speak straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy. Today, I'm continuing with my travel theme since it is supposed to be summer, and I have the Gifford family who have been away from home for five years with me for part two of our conversation, so stay put. On the family front, I'll be talking about our short visit to Bath and how bikinis are sold here, at least at the shop's Dort's frequents. I'm drinking sparkling water to keep a zing in my throat, so what are we waiting for? The first weekend the sun came out, my brave cowboy and I went to the Roman town of Bath to see, well, yes, the Roman baths, established during the AD 60s in the valley of the River Avon and around the hot springs. Taking the waters was said to cure leprosy and all sorts of other physical ailments. This curing of leprosy took me to the story in Second Kings chapter 5 of the commander Naaman, who, when seeking a cure for his skin ailment, was told through a messenger of the prophet Elisha to wash himself seven times in the river Jordan to restore his leprous flesh. Naaman scoffed, saying there were better rivers in which he could wash himself than the Jordan. He was also angry, wanting the prophet to at least come out himself and wave his hand over the spot to elicit a cure. Naaman's servants eventually convinced him to take a dip in the Jordan, and after he'd immersed himself seven times, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. I wonder if the River Jordan had healing properties like the hot springs in Bath. I wonder? Well, of course it did. Bath was a lovely, set in the heart of Somerset, a rainy yet green county. Its buildings were all of yellow stone and looked quite different from other old English towns that sport the Tudor and half-wood-beamed look. We enjoyed walking around but missed seeing inside a bath because of the massive amounts of tourists. We went to the circus and the Royal Crescent, where the famous houses are, a sight to behold, mostly flats now, but large and airy residences all the same. Jane Austen has walked the streets, and in her books, her characters have too. By mid-afternoon, while we were having our elevensies, everything sort of got turned around that day since we'd started our train journey really early and ate our lunch for breakfast, 
the town's human population had swelled to mammoth proportions with foreign student tourists who were loud and rude, not yielding pavement space for anyone. Must have something to do with driving on the left. We get confused when the Europeans invade our land. We bolted our cream teas and left to sit by the river, the River Avon, and watch a few barges pass along the canal and through a lock. Then we took the train home. Dortz, encouraged by the sight of the sun last week, took advantage of a sale in a shop she likes and bought a bikini. She went to try it on, which wasn't easy, she said. The top and the bottom were attached, so they couldn't be bought separately or mixed with a larger or a smaller bottom or top, as she was used to doing in America. And she had to try the top on with the bottoms kind of dangling down, and then she had to try the bottom on with the top hanging off. No way could she model the whole look until she got home. We all laughed at her little story and her little kini. Since I have a brand new computer, I've been diligently taking classes at the Apple store that I paid for when I bought my MacBook Pro. They're called one-to-ones, and the stores here don't offer group classes, so I've been having just a class one-on-one. This past week, I went and learned how to use GarageBand, which is an audio editing program already installed on my Mac. I had a pre-recorded show that needed some tweaking, so I got it ready for my class, and the first edit I did was seamless. The guy was so impressed. And I asked a lot of questions, which he had to go and find the answers to, and at the end of our hour together, he said he had learned as much as I had. I wonder what I'll do next. I was pretty chuffed. It's just a digital splice, like I used to do with cassettes and reel-to-reel tapes and using a use of sellotape. Anyway... It's on the computer, and um, I feel quite technical, so there's another feather in my cap. The married son and his wife are married again and back home from almost a week in Michigan, where they went up to um, get married for the other side of the family. They say they had a lovely time, but our son is sick of being in the car, especially with a wailing raccoon baby. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Do you remember that? They are working on getting Kickstarter up and running to raise money for the first stage of their bird show business. They have to have some video of birds that have been trained to start them off, so they're um, busily pursuing that. I wish I was there to watch and help. Maybe it's best that I'm not. Well, um, what did one of my guests say? The more you help your children, the less they'll rely on God. Hands off Mama is my new name. And our oldest son is looking for a house. He seems to be rushing things a bit, though. I think he's seen maybe a dozen over the course of three weeks and has put a bid on two of them. This had me and my cowboy remembering, or at least trying to remember, how long we took to buy our house. We were married in the October, and we moved into 2525 Collins at the end of May, so that's seven months, and we'd go out every weekend to different areas and look and look and look. We didn't just look in one area. Nothing like renting, where you go in quickly, knowing a year is the maximum you must stay. With a house, it's much, much more of a commitment. And um, I do hope he thinks it's through, and I think actually he's verging on that because we spoke to him um, yesterday, and he said that he thought he maybe was, you know, had too many things on his plate and he needed to focus on some film projects that he had. And we said to him, well, houses are always going to be out there for you to go and look at and buy, so maybe he will take things one step at a time. And um, 
with my daughter and her little story about her bikini had us thinking about swimsuits and generally thinking about holidays and sun and sea. I am fortunate today to be able to bring you part two of a conversation I had with Bian Gifford and her family aboard their sloop Totem in Malaysia, one of the few places in the China Seas with good internet. Bian and her husband Jamie schooled their three children on board their sailing vessel and have been cruising the seas for five years. Last week you listened to them talk about their marriage, their decision to buy Totem and take off sailing, cultural differences they have come across during their travels, and people's reactions to what they were doing. This week we're going to be talking about their family culture, what mealtime looks around the looks like in the Gifford family's galley while they're in the middle of the ocean, and their creativity. And that's all coming up next on the Sociable Homeschoolers. So don't go far and come right back. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station? Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, I'm continuing this week with my conversation that I broke off last week with Bian and Jamie Gifford and their three children aboard their sloop totem. Um, they are um, in East Malaysia on the island of Borneo in the South China Sea, and uh, last week we were talking about their marriage and um, their sailing and, and what brought them to um, completely pick up everything and take their children to live on this um, on a, on a forty-seven foot sloop and um, uh, homeschool their children and just live their the life that they um, feel most comfortable living at the moment. So um, let's see. Let's talk a little bit about your family culture, uh, what's important to you, what do you hope your children to take away from um, this experience or to go away from this experience with? Well, um, our family culture, I think, is based very much on peer relationships and respect, that we interact with our children uh, much more as thinking um, individual human beings as opposed to um, maybe a more conventional adult-child relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a mantra that goes along with that with regard to the way that we live, which is that 
recognizing it is very different. It is something that has to work for everyone. And if at some point it doesn't work for one of us, then we need to, we need to take a break. We need to stop and reassess and figure out what's the most important thing, uh, for us to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far they're all really happy. And, um, like we were talking before about spending some time living in Australia and some of the transitions that we went through there. Um, when we sat down to talk to the children about leaving again, they were unanimously enthusiastic about departing for our sort of nomadic journeys as a family again. So, um, so far so good. And, um, and we hope for a number of years to come. Mm. So, um, you were worried about education, both of you, you were worried about what were you going to do? So, um, tell us what you do. Well, it's just so scary to have to take on board your child's education, as you know. Um, uh, is there anything more important to a parent than their children? And is there anything more important to their future than how you how, how you help them grow up as, as thinking people? Um, what we did, thankfully, is because we had a lot of lead-up time to this, where we were living much more conventionally, and our kids that were school-age were enro- enrolled in our local public school, we had a chance to get to know a lot of people who were helping their kids grow up outside of school and see the myriad of different ways that families approach it and how incredibly uh, well their kids all turn out regardless. That it's not one path or another in particular, that it's whatever path is the right one for your family and for, your, uh, for you as parents and for your kids, that we all learn differently and that there aren't right or wrong answers down a homeschooling path so much as there are different ways of approaching it. And, and that all said, uh, in the lead up to departing Seattle, Bean was kind of a stress case about um, the oh, idea totally. that we were taking on our, our homeschooling. And to me, it seemed that there's so much um, opportunity for education just in the experience of being travelers. And if we can figure out a way to wrap that into how we teach our children, it all work out. And when we started down the road, we had a, a, a kind of an educational first show, first go at it, and it didn't work as well as we would have liked. But we sat back, we looked at it, we reevaluated, and came up with a second approach, and it was better. And we've refined it since then um, because. We found that exactly the, the the original point was that the the places we go have history and they they're a different geography and there's different culture and so there's so much about where we are that we can bring into the daily lesson and that um, that uh, education for the kids and really for all of us is kind of an organic thing that happens around us. Mm-hmm. I guess that. Homeschooling is really more a journey of exploration than a cookbook. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, somebody, one of my other guests said it's like a, a buffet. You know, everything is laid out and you just you choose what you want to do. You can't do everything. Like, you can't eat everything yeah. at, a, at a buffet. You just choose what you want and uh, Love go with that. Well, and it comes with some surprise because you never what's gonna be on, uh, know what's going to be on the table. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so are you... <coughs> Are you? Um, how how important is it for you to equip your children with the tools to go to college? I I you want to do that? It's very important in the sense that if they want to be able to go to college, we want them to be able to go, and so we want them to have those tools. And I think in our uh, world right now, that's 
um, that's almost a, a baseline requirement in in many, many, many professions. And even if it's not a requirement, it's a massive leg up. So we have that in mind. Um, and, of course, we also now have um, a, a teenager who is creeping in towards high school. So it's changing a little bit the way that we think about what we'll be doing uh, in terms of curriculum in the next few years. Mm-hmm. And do you use a curriculum? We put our own together. Um, we're able, we draw on a lot of different resources, uh, decide what our priorities are, and then uh, stack the boat based upon what we think we need to support it. So after the initial shock of, oh my gosh, this isn't, um, this, this isn't going well, we have to rethink, um, you, you got pretty quickly, I would imagine, into a homeschooling system that suits you as a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've, it, it's, it's a matter of finding a rhythm, and it varies because our, our life, the nature of our traveling life also has a rhythm that varies, and so um, we don't have a very fixed routine. We tend to adapt it based upon uh, what's happening around us. But, but we find that other families that are, are living a similar lifestyle have their own routine, and it works for them. So it's, and it might be wildly different from ours. Right. It could be an extension program where everything arrives in a box, and they take book one, and they go through it, and it works terrifically well for them. For us, it's our own style. And um, I, I heard you say that depending on which country you're in and their culture will, will um, you know, sort of influence um, what's, what's going to be taught or what, what you're going to be learning about for the next few weeks or whatever. So um, do you use the Internet a lot? I mean, or is it really not very reliable? Well, it's not reliable at all, so we can't count on it. Um, we typically haven't had Internet access um, on demand. Yeah. Yeah, so so you have to actually either have physical books or you just go out and use your eyes. That's right, and that's something that you know. Even in just the five years that we've been gone, I think the world of homeschooling has really revolved to change more around supporting the presumption of broadband internet into the home. And so, there, unfortunately, there's a lot that we don't have access to, but we have a lot of access to a lot of other amazing things. Yeah. Um, that you don't at home. We, we've we've brought a lot of very generalized books on the boat, like like field guides for different types of animals, species, and and um, general history books. And so then we can um, find something that's in an area and tie into one of these general books as a reference for us to then get more out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you decide to go back to America because you said that this is open ended and you really don't know um, what your um, plans are, um, would you continue homeschooling or would you put your children back into school? You know, it, it would probably end up being a financial decision. Um, we would want it hopefully to be something that the kids would have a big voice in, um, that if they wanted to continue being homeschooled, we would try to make that happen. Um, I'm not sure if we will be able to support ourselves sufficiently um, to, to allow that or not. We'd have to take it as it comes. Mm-hmm. So you have... You have a house, but you didn't sell a house. You didn't sell your house. That's right. We still have a house. Yeah. yeah. We, you have- we, we actually originally intended to sell, but our timing was a bit off with the global financial crisis of 2008 and uh, ended up keeping the house and renting it. Oh, well, that's good that you got renters in there. Well, there's there's been a mixed bag, and uh, so it's it's we would like to have sold it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I know. When I my husband and I came to England for a year, and we rented our house to our son and four of his friends. Well, the friends dropped out, and um, it ended up costing us 
I mean, we didn't get any rent at all, so we were living, we were maintaining two properties, and it was kind of not what we had expected at all. So. That's a, a twist and a summary of our experience, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, you just have to go with the flow. What do you do about routine medical visits and checkups, doctors, dentists, that kind of thing? We really just take care of them wherever we are. If there's a checkup that we need, um, we've not had any trouble seeking out recommendations to find uh, really great uh, healthcare providers in different places. For the most part, we haven't needed much. Uh, dental care is something certainly that we've had to keep up on a, uh, a few times a, a year basis as much as we can. And um, so far, every place that we've been where we needed our teeth cleaned, we've actually had really great and less costly dental care than we would have had back in the States. Um, but we've also just been very healthy and lucky not to have needed any emergency care and things like that. And for that, we're grateful. And do you travel with insurance? We have catastrophic insurance, which is really just, you know, in the event of a major medical emergency, we're covered. Okay. Um, so... As far as your shots to go into countries, your immunizations, um, mm -hmm. did you do all of that before you left Australia? I suppose you would have another set for wherever you were going from there. Is that how you did that? That's, that's exactly right. We went through a, a whole regiment uh, with a uh, travel doc, and, um, and we each got stabbed many times by the needle. Uh, rabies shots for different parts of Indonesia, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. Yeah. Well, I know some countries won't let you in if you don't have, like, yellow fever and, and, and some of those more exotic diseases, will they? That's, that's right. And, uh, and unfortunately, many of these uh, vaccinations are quite expensive. So when we, when we did the required shots in Australia for our future travels into Southeast Asia, it was quite an expensive bill that was not covered by insurance. All right. Oh, yeah. So you had to stay for an extra couple of months to make some more money. <laughs> so um, you're planning on um, sailing. Well, you're leaving Malaysia at the end of the week, did you say? Oh, well, we'll be heading out from Malaysia, but then back into Malaysia. We'll sort of hop across the top of Brunei, um, and then uh, we'll be in the northern Malaysian state of Sabah. And we'll get there for about a month, and then we'll actually U-turn and come back down this way. And then we'll, towards the end of the northern summer, we'll cut across from Borneo here to the peninsula and work our way around with the goal of being in Thailand by the end of this year. Oh, okay. Okay. And so that's all still considered the equator? It is all equatorial. Yeah. So what are the hours of, of daylight there? Do you get long, nice long days? Actually, near the equator, it's uh, pretty consistently 12-hour days, sun's up around 6 and sets around 6. And it happens fast. It's not like being in a higher latitude where you kind of have this lovely slow dawn and lingering twilight and things. It just, you know, you got a few minutes and then bam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So are you looking forward to going to Thailand? Very much. New place, new things to see, uh, new things to learn, um, you know, a religion, a, a country with a very strong Buddhist tradition that will be fascinating for us to experience, I think. Yeah. And an alphabet. And, yeah, and Niall says, and a new alphabet. That'll be interesting. Oh, a new alphabet. Oh, my goodness. Now, do you I, – I have one person that I, uh, that I um, talk to who travels, and um, sometimes she'll, she'll enroll her children with maybe the local weaver or batik artist – 
and they'll mm. learn, you know, a, a creative craft of some sort. Have you done that? In a way that we have. Uh, in the cruising community, there's uh, many people with very interesting backgrounds, and so um, we were with uh, a, a PhD marine biologist crossing the Pacific, and uh, we set the kids up with him to teach a number of classes in different places. Uh, we've, we've done other similar things. There was a, a NASA scientist who taught us about stars and about an, uh, a solar eclipse. That right, leading up to the solar eclipse, he gave us a, the, a layman's person from a, from a PhD's uh, uh, background or layman's perspective from a PhD's background to better understand the eclipse that was occurring. Papua New Guinea, we, we did some uh, lessons from uh, a woman weaving mats. Mm -hmm. In Indonesia, we had cooking lessons. Mm -hmm. and, and for us, it tends to be um, kind of a, a full family event. So we all, we all go in to learn. Mm -hmm. And so do you learn any of the language? You know, your, uh, Niall just said um, a new alphabet to learn. So how do you do that? Yeah, uh, yeah, in country, I try and learn the language a little bit. I'm a language and, and I've been, um, really fortunate that, uh, in Indonesia and now here in Malaysia, there are languages that I studied at university. So I've got a leg up to also help the kids, uh, learn some words and we were able to do a little bit of practicing before we arrived so they can, have their pleasantries and some numbers and greetings and things like that nailed down. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of the fun things to do. When we were in Mexico, they were able to get fairly uh, pr uh, proficient with some basic Spanish. Um, uh, they picked up a little bit of French coming through a lot of the French countries in the South Pacific. They're looking at me like we did. <laughs> it's, been, it's been three years ago, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <cool>. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, yeah, so... Thailand will be next. Thai, I think, is going to be a little tough, but we'll give it a whirl. All right. Well, we need to go on a really short break, and we'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on Tuggynet.com. The author of the book, Help My Body is Killing Me, Solving the Connections of Autoimmune Disease to Thyroid Problems, Fibromyalgia, Depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better, to make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live, Monday nights at 9, 10 Central, here on Togginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, here I am um, virtually on the South China Sea, South, is that what it's called? South China Sea, yes. And um, I'm talking to 
Abiyan and her husband Jamie and her three children, Nial, Merin, and Siobhan. I hope, you know, I had a friend at school called Siobhan. That's why I recognized the spelling of it because I used to think, how do I spell that? It would be Siobhan. And it was pronounced <laughs> Siobhan, you know, nothing, nothing. Is that right? Is that the right way? That's, that's right. That's how we pronounce that's it. That's how you're pronouncing it. So tell me a little bit, actually, we'll go back to um, your creativity in a bit. Tell me a little bit about your names. Um, kids, do you want to go through your names? Uh, they're all Irish. We have Irish heritage, so we've all much more families adapted Irish names. Okay. Uh, Niall, Marin, and Siobhan, mm-hmm. and then Bean and James. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, James, do you have Irish, so, an no, Irish background? Uh, a small amount, more, yeah. more, more uh, Scottish. Oh, okay. okay. All right. And um, Bjorn, your, your childhood, did you travel a lot while, when you were a child? Did your parents do this kind of thing with you? Not until I was in my teens, but I moved to Taiwan while I was in high school, and I had my last year of high school at the Taipei American School. Um, and that gave me absolute wanderlust and it came as um uh i guess maybe ironically enough from a great teacher and a teacher who would take us on the weekends for our social studies class instead of meeting during classroom hours during the week and we would just hop on the train and sometimes even a plane and we would go and explore a different part of the country and it was fascinating and so it set me up i think for uh wanting to do more travel as an adult too so, um, Jamie, what about you? Where did your wanderlust come from? Uh, I guess it's probably from reading books about sailing when I was a boy, because my family didn't travel very much. We did locally, but not so much. And uh, uh, I just had a strong desire reading these great, wonderful tales of the South Pacific and, and great stories. And, and uh, it's, it's awfully uh, great to be able to get to experience it as a family. So, have either of you read The Life of Pi? Oh, I read it. Yeah. Um, Jamie's not read oh, it I yet. I haven't read it. Yeah. 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 And I, I read that book, you know, and I loved the book. And then I went to see the film, and I, I really liked the film. And um, everybody's, you know, they've got these mixed opinions. But it was just that, that the, the way he lived for all of those days, hundreds of days, you know, just, just on <laughs> his life's raft, lifeboat that he, that he got. And, yeah. um, you know, I just, I just think, uh, that's not what you're doing, but you know, you, it's just, it's just that, uh, that's the image I have. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've lived through also, you know, storms and, and, you know, sort of very large weather. Um, tell us, tell us, Jamie, a little bit about that because, um, you know, you, you talked about, some high waves at one point while the the children were below deck sleeping and probably didn't even realize what was going on um, above deck. You said that was pretty scary. We've had a few moments. We've we've worked hard to uh, to avoid any any really big weather and and for the most part it's worked out. Um, we got caught a, a bit in uh, in the trip from Australia up to Papua New Guinea. We started off with just a terrific weather forecast. We we're all excited to get going again. We had three days of of quite light wind, 
And in that, uh, to the north of us, a low pressure system formed and we got squashed uh, as it was and um, quite windy and, and some big waves, but very manageable. We got towards the end of that uh, passage and we thought, okay, it's behind us. The weather was beginning to improve and we started to breathe a little bit and, and it was a nice safe trip. Uh, and as we were going through this large ship entrance into the Louisiana archipelago, uh, three waves collected up behind us, and whether they were rogue waves or, or a funneling effect from the islands around us, they came up to at least 10 meters, and we rose up on the first wave, and the top of the wave collapsed on itself, causing our rudder to stall, oh. and I had this very brief moment of panic. I happened to be... What, what he means is that basically we weren't able to steer the boat at that yeah. time. And, and it was just an instant, but um, I recognized what happened, and I recognized the danger because we could have easily, the, the wave could have forced us sideways and tumbled us over, but... Um, uh, I had the engine on because the wind had dropped quite a bit, and I put the throttle forward, which gave us enough control in the rudder, and we got steerage again. But they were the biggest waves we've seen, and the kids were were, were down below and not sleeping, but merrily playing and excited that we were going to be anchored within a few hours. Mm-hmm. So they missed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so when you when you're out in in that kind of weather or not even that rough kind of weather. What do you see at sea? Do you see a lot of fish and shoals and, and unusual creatures? We, we do. We, it, it really varies quite a lot. Every once in a while we see whales. We see flying fish, flying birds, fish quite frequently. Birds. Dolphins. Go ahead, guys. Yeah, I mean, you're whales? not going to... We, we've seen sharks on several occasions. Flying fish are... Very common, some whales, some dolphins, many birds. Jellyfish. And at night, oh, it's yes. the bioluminescent creatures that what? come up from deep that are spectacular. So nothing that we could imagine, really, I don't suppose. Uh, difficult to imagine, yeah. I think, yes. R- rather like the sky. I can't imagine what the sky must look like right out there in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Oh, Vivian, this was one of the things that was so amazing for me about our Pacific crossing that near the equator, the clouds were so spectacular and it feels so huge to have nothing but water as far as you can see. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah. And you're a photographer. So did what, what kind of photographs are you getting? Well, I was um, happy to have a polarizing filter out there um, to try to get more definition with all the water and, and clouds and the light. Um, I, I just see our life through my lens, I guess, and I try and I try to um, I try to uh, give people a way of looking at the way that we live. Are you able to sell any of your photographs? Not as much as I would like. Yeah. But I haven't I haven't tried very hard either, so it's something I'd like to do more. And you obviously have an underwater capability because you take some That's beautiful right. shots underwater. We, we we have very modest camera equipment and. Uh, and we take a lot of pictures, and it's fun when they work out mm-hmm. uh, a simple point-and-shoot underwater camera. But mm-hmm. um, it helps when you're in crystal clear water and spectacular coral and fish life around. Yeah, yeah. Now, you said there was one place you went where there was a lot of rubbish in the water and on the beaches. You actually 
took some photographs, and I've done the same thing. Everybody thinks, oh, London's so, you know, this, this, and this. And I will take photographs of coming into a station and the sidings and the graffiti and the rubbish that's piled up. I just take these photographs mm-hmm. and I go, it's mm-hmm. not all gorgeous. So you took photographs. And now where was that? Uh, well, there have been a, it was a few places. There have been yeah. a few places, oh. but it's interesting how different cultures respond to uh, the, the garbage and the human mess that's around them. Uh, sometimes it's in a it's in an atoll in the middle of the Pacific where the atoll just acts like a net, and there are very few people there, and it just washes up. But there's nothing they can really do about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, in Indonesia, it was probably more stark than anywhere. Uh, there's something in the culture where people just don't seem to mind um, throwing plastic over the side and watching it float away. Mm. And when you're in a city and the river outflows and it's carrying a sea of plastic that and washes by the boat. Dirty diapers and oil and it's just, it's, yeah, it was a mess. But, but Bean and I both remember in the 70s uh, that... Uh, the highways in America, the sides were covered in, in plastic garbage and debris. And, um, and it was a few advertising campaigns that got people to think a little differently. And we hope that in a place like Indonesia, maybe it becomes important enough that they can change that because um, it really has some of the most incredible biodiversity and beautiful places that is quite tainted by the amount of plastic rubbish. And too many times going along, we would catch plastic bags in the propeller and have to stop and dive and clear them mm-hmm. uh, because it creates some problems for us. Yeah. yeah. So um, with, your, with your journey, you're going up to Thailand and then you're heading, you've, you've talked about not going, the Red Sea is closed to you. Is that because of the Suez Canal, the possibility that they might close down the Suez Canal? It's not because of closing the Suez, it's the piracy off of the Horn of Africa and, and now in a fairly, fairly wide range from the Horn of Africa. It just wouldn't be safe to go near those waters. All right. Okay. We, we had the, um, the experience to know a number or two different boats. One of them, we knew one person, they were captured by Somali pirates and were all killed. And there was another boat, uh, a Danish family that we met in the South Pacific, uh, uh, also late 2010, that that was uh, um, captured by the Somali pirates and held for ransom, and they were freed after almost a year. So it's 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 dangerous and it's real and uh, it's, it's a no, it. it's a no go place for us. Okay, so I'm I'm thinking, okay, this trouble and the war in, that's going on in Syria, maybe that has something to do with it. So it's the piracy. Mm-hmm. All right. And so you're going to go down. No, you're not going to go down. But you're going to. You're heading to South Africa, to Johannesburg. You have family there, Jamie. Apparently, that's right. I've got some family that have been in South Africa for quite a long time, and uh, we're really, really excited about uh, the prospect of doing a safari around Africa. And uh, um, but but cruising plans are cast in sand, and so we think that's um, on the horizon, but we don't know for sure. Yeah. It sounds exciting. It sounds absolutely fantastic for you. I mean, obviously, everybody's different. I love, I love listening to it. I don't know if I could do it. Sounds as though you're really busy all the time because when you, when you birth, you, you don't, well, you have maintenance to do, obviously, in the normal chores and that kind of stuff. But 
you want to get out and you want to, you know, sort of be in the culture and be in the land, don't you? You do. And the reality is that the simplest things in life when you're cruising tend to take a lot longer. Um, doing laundry, whether it's yeah. doing it a bucket or because I've got to go out and find a new place to do laundry in the new place, you know, new location that we're yeah. in. Everything takes more time. Yeah. Um, you know, getting food to eat because I can't just get in my car and go to the same store I always go to. It's it, it, it slows it down. But but we really enjoy. We get out. We eat the local food. Mm-hmm. We meet people. We're we we usually tend to uh, stick out a little bit from the locals, and uh, we attract some attention. And we meet many friends that way. And money. How how do you how do you do that? Going from place to place. How do you change your money up, or do you use credit cards? What do you do? We usually just go to an ATM. Um, typically, a port of entry in a new country is a relatively populated place, at least enough that there's a bank with an ATM. Okay. And we've never had trouble getting cash out yet. Okay. Okay. Um, now, what else do I want to ask you? There's so many things that I want to ask you. We were talking a little bit about your creativity. And um, sure. there is creativity in your family, of course, there is. You've got your, you're a, an, an artist, you're, you're well, photographer. Um, Jamie, you were a sail designer, is that what you did? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, there's got to be creativity in there somewhere. So tell me a little bit about your family, cooking or um, organizing or, you know, whatever. Well, the kids are phenomenal um, artists, I think. They, they spend a ton of time uh, actually doing different drawing, painting, working with watercolors, uh, sketching. They've kind of each got areas they tend to be interested in for different stretches of time. Uh, Niall did a really cool cartoon uh, series for a while. Um, I love to see the art that they create, and it's something that, you know, again, I guess it's sort of um, maybe homeschoolers practice, but we just stock the boat with resources, and then we, we, um, we try to get ourselves some good ideas of what to do with them, but we just go and dive in and, and, and do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as keeping in touch with your family, how do you do that with the family that's in America worrying about you? It's hard, you know, um, but we, we do what you and I are doing right now. We use Skype. Skype is I think transformed this kind of traveling um, as far as being able to stay in touch. And although it's been, you know, four and a half years or something, uh, or almost four years since the kids have seen their grandparents, we were able to Skype with them this morning and they got a little video feed for a while and and it was terrific. But it it also, when we're more remote, like in Papua New Guinea, we don't have the internet access. And so it's, it is quite a bit tough, uh, tougher, but we can through our HF radio send email as was Mm -hmm. mentioned before and um, and it keeps us in some contact. So so far, favorite place. Oh, that's I I, I want to hear what everyone's favorite place is. Um, Marin, what's your favorite place? Suaro. Suaro, where's that? Cook Islands. And why do you love it? Because nobody. Uh, it's kind of. It was pristine. beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pristine. Fish. Uh huh. Yeah, Siobhan, Siobhan, what about you? Well, I really like Swaro too. Mm-hmm. It was special. Was mm. it James and Oppie? Yeah, yeah. They were the two park rangers mm-hmm. that stayed there. They oh. really, they really helped us enjoy mm-hmm. it and learn how to uh, learn the local culture that yeah. that would have been there. I guess how to forage and things like that. What about you, Niall? I really loved French Polynesia, um, Marquesas Islands because the food. Uh, Baguettes and brie. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, it's oh, the French. Very French, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, 
And then I like the Tuamotu's Islands just just because they're so cool, just the the fish and the life there, and just you know, there's really no. And those else. are those atolls between the Marquesas and Tahiti, and they're just rings of sapphire in the Pacific. They're stunning. Um, turquoise water. For, for me, I, I I think uh, I couldn't pick one place, but um, Papua New Guinea comes to, to mind right now as a mm-hmm. favorite. It was it was um, a place out of history in many ways, but the people were so friendly and so similar, um, yet so different, and it was it was just fascinating. I am really struggling to pick one, and I'm kind of inclined to line up with the girls on Suaro. Um, it hit on so many different dimensions. It's just a, it's a beautiful place. We had these great guides who, whose sole purpose there was to help us enjoy it and learn about the environment and how to respect it. And then we had this really beautiful place to play in. And Siobhan is wild gesticulating. What else is it, Siobhan? I remember going, um, oh, what are they? Coconut crab hunting in Saguaro. Oh, that's oh, right. That was fun. It was. And Abby, he would stick his hand into these holes where the coconut crabs are. And, no. They can they can break bones with their claws. We just, we just couldn't believe that he was doing that. Wow. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so uh, much. Mexico was oh, of course. Oh, Vivian, it's been a pleasure. Um, well, thank you so much for having us. And it, well, I'm just going to say that it's time for us to wrap up. You're, you're, and <laughs> thank goodness the internet or the, the the Skype connection stayed with us for this last one. A little bit dodgy, but it was fine. So I wish you good speed as you set off again to the other side of. Um, in uh, Malaysia, to the other side of Malaysia, um, go and find Yarn and her family at SV dash. Is it? It's just a dash, isn't it? Like a hyphen. Totem.blogspot.com. Yeah. And follow her as she chronicles her family's fascinating life. It's amazing. So be safe, all of you. You have a wonderful weekend. Bye. Thanks, Vivian. You Thanks. too. Thank, Thank you. So you. Much. Bye. 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 How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend at Principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to mm-hmm. have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I've been talking to the Gifford family, Bjorn and her husband Jamie, and their three children, Niall, Marin, and Siobhan about their life on board their 47-foot sloop currently moored in Malaysia. 
They homeschool their three children on board and have been sailing for five years after deciding that regret was not something they wanted to live with. Both seasoned sailors, they took off on their adventure in the face of concern about their sanity. Living on board their sailing vessel suits them perfectly, although the lifestyle comes with its fair share of routine maintenance, except in exotic locations, they say. They answer the question, why, with why not, and I'm sure you'll agree, having listened to it, and plan to stay out for as long as the family wants to. Follow them on www.sv-toton.blogspot.com, and I'll have the link up on my radio webpage. With the holiday season in full swing in most of the Western Hemisphere, I talked about the kind of holiday I preferred last week. No roughing it for me. Camping's for the birds. Backpacking is a no-no as well. I'm a self-confessed comfort freak, but that's okay. To each his own, or in my case, her own. People who do camp, though, say it's freeing, not to mention the fact that there are so many mod cons that can be taken along in a large people carrier that even the kitchen sink can easily be toted in the form of collapsible bowls. That new innovation for the kitchen with hardly any storage space. You've seen smaller versions of them, the flat measuring cups that pop out. In my camping days with my parents, our tent was heavy and took hours to erect and take down. My cousins in Canterbury still have my parents' tent, and I've told them to get rid of it because they can buy a new light one that can be flung skyward and land fully assembled. At least, that's my interpretation of the commercials. Tents are so light and easy today. Let's not forget all the electrical hookups that can be had at a modern campsite, too. Goodbye powdered milk. Ugh. But still, no privacy to my way of thinking. Camping then and now is certainly not traveling light, and my mother did a lot of preparation, buying food, packing up the car, measuring just the right amount of coffee and tea to take. That's why I liked Galveston. Everything was already there. Going on holiday should not be about weeks of preparation. I like to be able to pick up and leave quickly. When Jesus sent out the seventy in the scripture passage I opened with, into the Galilean countryside to preach the good news, he orders them to take nothing for the journey. No purse, no bag, no sandals. They're to travel light, staying where they're welcomed and moving on where they are not. They, that must have been such a daunting task, don't you think? Traveling light with no instructions except to talk about the life you lead with this odd man who said he was the son of God. They didn't know what they might find or what kind of reception to expect. My traveling homeschoolers that I've been talking to embark with much the same apprehension and are always pleasantly surprised by the people they meet. Jesus wanted his disciples to learn from their task, and as homeschoolers, we know the quickest way to learn something new is to be thrown into the unexpected, the untried, to walk along a path, different path, and to just do it. My children were all about hands-on, something I had to learn to do. It did not come naturally to me. Although we can prepare to travel, drawing up an itinerary, renting out our house, selling property, for the most part, the actual journey itself is uncertain. This aspect of the travel works in that it develops character and courage, a sense of trust and a banishment of fear. The disciples are reported to have returned to Jesus with joy, having found that they too had something of the power of God in their own hands. If you really need to experience a particular way of life, then you have to go out there alone, 
no leaning on anyone else for support except God, and get through it yourself. One of my guests said, the more you help your children, the less they'll rely on God. Wow, what an insight. What a teaching. So, the more you're helped along the way of your life, the less you'll see God. And we don't have to physically roam the world to come to this. Just roaming among our family members is sometimes less than enough. And once we've learned something that way, we'll pass it on and on and on, hoping to benefit someone with our knowledge. I look at my restless soul and wonder if the urge to throw myself ever so gracefully upon the unknown is an attempt to remind me what it means to be without all the responsibilities and move as I please. You, my children jokingly comment, are on the path to homelessness, Mum and Dad, and we are. Like my wild boys of last year, I'm hearing the call of the wild, now that I'm no longer on duty as Mum 24-7. I want to learn something new about myself and about God, and share it with my family first, and then my friends, and maybe then beyond, remembering that my family will share with their friends, and similar to the workings of Facebook, it'll get passed on and on and on to infinity. So, with my traveling friends, who have so much to offer when I talk to them, they find a new perspective that comes from their journeys along the untried path. It is on the journey, unencumbered by all the things we rely on, that we most often encounter God and his quiet voice, in ordinary places, in exotic places, in familiar places. I hope my traveling series opens up new horizons for you. Well, that's it for another week. I'll be back same time, same place next week with news and views from Merry Old and some stories of holidays in the McNenny household. So until Friday at noon in Texas or 6 p.m. here in Merry Old, and without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Tokenet Radio, my guests this week, Bjorn, Jamie, Niall, Maren, and Siobhan Gifford, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Rosemary, Kathleen, Jane, Olivia, Esme, Millicent, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Stay tuned to Toginet and catch lots of great shows to glide you through your day. Take care and be safe. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Number six verses 24 to 26. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Toginet. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children ages 24 to 18 who were willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.